Hi, I'm Sean Nolan, and this is what I'm grateful for today. Today, I'm kicking off season two with special guest, playwright and screenwriter James Graham to talk all about the imagination, learning to get good at meditation, and the comfort of synesthesia. Hi, James. Morning, Sean. How are you doing? I am okay today, actually. Thank you. I'm doing pretty okay. I, I have some days at the moment. It's funny, in the midst of lockdown, I find strict national lockdowns easier to handle sometimes than the vague tier systems. Yeah. I almost find having all of my options taken away from me easier to accept than having half my options taken away from me, if that makes sense. Totally so I go... Sense. Yeah, so I go up and down through the week sometimes, and Tuesdays have turned Tuesdays and Thursdays have turned out to be good days for me. Um, I'm trying to make it all week, but today is a Tuesday, which means that today is a reasonably good day. I woke up in a in a good mood this morning, so I can't complain too much. All considering, how are you doing today, James? Um, yeah, the same. I'm I'm all right. I agree with you. I think that the weird halfway house semi lockdowns are harder because different people are in different states some people have their work some people don't have their work i think there's something about the collective effort of everyone staying in and doing the same thing makes it a bit easier um into why i wonder why your tuesdays are, are better my tuesdays are better but that's because i have a i've diagnosed myself with a unique condition which is called snf which is sunday night feeling oh um, don't oh yeah i get that really bad i mean i guess it, it must come from school mustn't it but um you know, the feeling of hearing, um, you know, songs of praise just makes me feel like I've not done that. <laughs> um, it's getting really bad in lockdown, like really bad, like at four o'clock, five o'clock on a Sunday, especially when it gets dark. I just, it envelops me in an existential dread, not just about the week ahead, but about my life ahead. So Tuesdays are actually okay. Yeah, I second that. I get Monday blues as a hangover of the Sunday night fever. So yeah. hence why Mondays end up being bad. And then I think Tuesday is a bit like, oh, well, I got through one day. And then I think <laughs> I get to Wednesday and I'm like, oh, we're only halfway. And then I get to Thursday and I'm like, we're nearly at the end. And I get to Friday and I think, oh, no, it's going to restart. And then the, the process continues. I think that's how my weeks are going. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to iron them out because I don't, I don't like the up and downness of it. So I'm trying to make it a bit more up than down. Right, so let's try and keep it up and let's talk about some things we're grateful for today. And I think we both have some pretty, I think it's reasonably random today. And I quite like it when it's more random than when it seems more, seems more focused. Um, and I really like your first one. Your first one made me giggle. So why don't you start us off with the first thing that you're grateful for today? Well, I feel like my first one's really lame. Um, and I'm sure it's things that other people discovered much earlier in life. But my, I am grateful for discovering higher bikes during lockdown. Uh, I refuse to call them after the former mayor of London, currently our prime minister. But actually, it's the other bikes. It's the bikes which you don't need a dock for in London, um, which you can find anywhere on your app and park them anywhere. And, and it's an obvious thing to say, and I know a lot of people have experienced something similar in lockdown, but it's just completely transformed the city where I live, um, which is London. And you know, I would go on the tube and I would go on my bus routes, but I just don't, I never knew how to quite connect it all. It's so sprawling and big and you'd stick to the same paths and the same tube lines. And there's something like getting on a bike and physically powering your own pathetic body somewhere um, and seeing how the city rolls into different neighborhoods after neighborhoods. It's made everything seem really, really possible somehow. And mm. 
uh, and actually weirdly I'm sure psychologically in my own lockdown hell where I live on my own in Kennington in Lambeth it I don't know it, it locates me a bit more in a in a place in a city which I think for my own head has probably been really helpful mm. I think that's really nice that's like I always try and walk instead of getting the tube where possible like even ex- if I sometimes extremely long distances to do exactly that to link things up and I remember the first time I did that when I was like an early teenager and I realized that everything was a lot closer than you thought it once was and, and it all makes more sense it's, yeah. such a, it's such a gratifying feeling and I think there's something to be said about bikes in general um I'd never ridden a higher bike until the summer I don't think ever in my whole life and I never ride a bike as an adult because as soon as you have to start riding on the road I was like no I don't want to do that like I'm not yeah. interested in doing that um so my boyfriend and I in the summer went and rode hire bikes for hours around London um, and thoroughly enjoyed the experience. And I didn't realize it was the same kind of freeing experience I've discovered. And this is so random from swings. So I've been <laughs> walking with friends in recent months when you've been able to walk with people pre lock this lockdown, kind of when you could just walk with people as opposed to being exercise specific. And we'd go and walk past swing sets at parks and they were obviously dead empty. And I was like, let's just sit on the swing. I read it about three months ago. And I hadn't done it in such a long time. And it elicits such genuine joy within me. And I can only describe it as akin to when I ride a bike, that sense of like true, as you say, like your own body moving you forward, yeah, and this the, kind the of sense of freedom of and like the wind in yeah. your hair. There is something vaguely childlike about it. It reminds me of being a kid. Um, and the last thing I was going to say is actually, the, I, have, I think it's, I feel like higher bikes are even better than having your own bike. I wouldn't know what to do if I bought my own. I wouldn't know what, <laughs> like going into a bike shop. I wouldn't know what to ask for like can I have a can I have a blue bike please but um having a higher bike of course means you can leave it um so what also that's done is is transformed my my jogging you're, obviously when you're jogging and running around London exercising you are limited by you have to start where you live and end where you live um but the joy of having a higher bike I had this massive revelation about three weeks into lockdown which is I can I can cycle much further away like to Hyde Park dump the bike there and then that would be my jogging route and I'd jog back home. So it's even transformed my my exercise, which I'm really grateful for. That's really exciting. We have scooters where I live now, like electric scooters you can hire that's in exactly the same no, way, but I've never done that. That seems years, terrifying. away from that. That's, that's, <laughs> they go so fast. They do go fast. And I'm also a little bit self-conscious on them. I do feel like me doing that on my own, I would look like an absolute maniac, like riding around on a scooter on a massive bright yellow electric scooter. So I am yet to, I'm yet to do that. But the town I live in is, is pretty small enough for me to walk from one end to the other with ease. So I don't think I need the scooter. Um, but yeah, I definitely think bikes. My mum has a bike and a friend of mine recently said, well, would you like to go cycling? Because that kind of is a form of exercise and like you don't have to do it on your own. And I'd never considered the idea of getting on a bike before. I really don't think about it much, apart from when I was a child, when I'd ride to school every day. But now I never think about getting on a bike as an adult. So I feel like yeah. you've inspired me now to, to at least pull the bike out at one point and, and brave riding the slightly more quiet roads at some point. Do it. But talking about gratitude, um, the first thing I'm grateful for today is very specific and is a very specific item. Uh, my friend, Christine, she suggested to me several months ago that I start a podcast to because I'd done about four before, she said it'll give me something to do and will lift my mental health, this being the podcast. And for Christmas, she gifted me a gratitude journal. I'm going to show you it, James. No one else will be able to see it, but you'll be able to see it. It's right here next to me, actually. So it says attitude for gratitude on it. And every day you have to list three things you're grateful for. And then at the end of every week, you say what you're grateful for that week, right? Brilliant. Love it. And I was like, oh, that's such an on-the-nose gift. That's perfect. The one thing I've really appreciated about it, though, is that 
absolutely fuck all is happening in my life right now. So being grateful for three things a day is so difficult because you cannot think of even three things that happened in the day. So some days I put things like, what do I even put? So I put things like the lunch I had that day because I'm staying with my mum still. I've been staying with my mum for many months now, obviously, and I'm homeschooling my sister, so I'm still with her. Um, and since then, I've started having the same lunches I, I used to take to school. And I found that really kind of, I like being in touch with younger Sean again. Um, yeah. But I'm really like scraping the barrel for things to be grateful about. And it's forced me then to be grateful for such little things that I've actually ended up feeling the benefits of practicing gratitude so much more because each time I come on here it's been a week I normally can think of some pretty big swathing ideas or things that I can talk about for you know four minutes at a time hence the point of the podcast whereas that I really have to dig to just fill the three lines and yeah. that's difficult and also some days I forget to do it so I have to go back and try and think about what I would have been grateful for that day which actually I find quite an interesting practice too because I really have to replay in my head the steps I took through that day um have you written have you written in your gratitude journal that you are grateful for your gratitude journal? I actually did. I think on the first day, one of the first things I came up with, yeah, the third thing I was on the first day was Christine for gifting me this journal. So I actually did already use that one. And the th thing is I'm very strict on don't use the same thing twice. So I'm very acutely aware of like some days I'll be like, I'm grateful for that person's friendship today. And I think, oh no, save that one because you could make another one today. You might want that one next week. Um, but it's really good. And reading back over it each week, I also find really, really helpful, especially when at the moment, I just find the weeks to be so tedious and so monotonous yes. that when you get to the end of it and you're like, you just feel the sense of relief that it's over as opposed to necessarily a sense of achievement. And I think when I read back through that, I feel like, oh, the week wasn't actually too bad after all. Like There were moments that I enjoyed. And I think I've decided subconsciously, perhaps in recent weeks, maybe even months, to naively and ignorantly, I suppose, ignore the bad parts of the week upon reflection. But I, it works really well for me, kind of, I feel most days just drag and are horrible. But then upon reflection, a few days later, I'll be like, ah, oh, it's all right. And I think I'm doing good by myself by doing that instead of dwelling on the fact that, no, actually, more of that mundane, horrible mindset is, is going to end up continuing sometimes. Um, and I think and it's to root that, to, I think to root that gratitude in specifics is really helpful, and it remind it, you know it it changes your weeks because you remember what you were grateful for last week and is different for this week. I think that's lovely. Yeah, exactly. So the next thing that you're grateful for, James, I don't have any casual transition between the two of these, so you're just going to have to dive straight into it. Well, speaking of time and the expanse of time, Sean, I'll do the link for you. Um, um, I have this, I, I, this, this thing called synesthesia, which I don't really have to an, an extreme degree. Um, but I wrote a play about it about 10, oh God, about a decade ago. So you would have been nine or something stupid, horrible. 11, um, not nine, but yeah, basically. I was joking, but actually. <laughs> um, that was a way to give so, you a bit of an existential crisis this morning. There we go. Um, it was about a character who had synesthesia and his was mainly to do with color. Um, and it's, it's when, um, so he felt and he could taste colour, um, uh, but it manifests itself in, in different ways. And one of them is sort of, a, of a, an awareness of space and time being a physical thing. So a lot of people can as associate with certain days of the week having a colour. Um, for me, it's very clear that Thursday is green, but Friday is red. That's evident to me, but other people's colours may be different. Um, but also it, um, 
like the the week goes from left to right for me, mm-hmm. um, which I sort of feel in my body as the week progresses. But I feel very very keenly um, the year. And for me, I don't know what you if you feel the year in terms of three dimensional space, Sean. But for me, my year starts with January at the very top and goes down to December, and it's. Um, it's not hugely strong, like some people really feel it, but I do have this feeling of, um, as the year progresses, of getting to almost to the bottom of a well and it getting a bit heavier and a bit darker and everything just being a bit harder, um, which I don't mind, but what it does, I think what that does gift me and what I'm grateful for in my weird time space synesthesia um, is when I get to January, it does feel like I've been like shot up in a pipe up very very high to the top of something and I can properly get perspective and get a view and start again so I'm afraid I am I am that huge um January cliche in resetting lifestyle and life habits in terms of anything so last week I've I've changed around the furniture in my living room I've reset my my waking schedule with a new waking lamp and a new time frame and a new system of going to bed Uh, I'm doing loads of things but I don't think I would have that feeling of being so exhausted last year, getting to December with the weight of the world, the weight of the pandemic, the, like it felt like dragging your dead corpse across the finish line and just rolling over and being grateful that you got there. Whereas 1st of January, bang, I feel um, I feel completely liberated from all that. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. I think make, the year, any sense to you? No, Jay, that so. does make a lot of in, uh, sense to me. I'm trying to think of how I visualize the year because I feel, I, I agree, left to right of the week is exactly how I see it in my head as well. I believe Monday's on the left and Sunday's on the right. And I believe I go back and up through the scale. I believe almost on Sunday night, I like reverse, almost like you wind yeah. me back to the beginning as opposed to yeah. continuing. I feel like it's the, I always feel like my weeks are the same, at least at this moment in my life. That's how it feels like winding back to the beginning and doing it all over again. Um, but with the year, I don't know how I'd visualize the year so much, but I would say that my birthday's on the 2nd of March. And all my life, I've seen January and February as almost like an overture to the year. And they always go by absolute breakneck speed for me. And I never really realise they've happened and nothing happens in them. I never do anything in January and February somehow, ever. I don't even do any kind of social activity, it seems. I don't know how it happens, but they pass by faster than anything else in the whole year. And I'm always grateful for that at the start of the year because I'm like, great, we'll just get moving forward. And by the time you get to March, you're like, oh, we only have 10 months left. And this year in particular... I've been grateful for feeling that. But I would say that my years never end as like falling into the pit. I would say I feel like that's an overture, doesn't really count. The year does feel like it starts in March in my head, or at least emotionally it does. And then I feel like it's always an uphill climb in a positive way towards sunlight, let's say, uh, until kind of mid-September. And then mid-September goes right the way down to December. And then December starts to pick up again. I have my right. flat line and then I go up and down. But late September through to kind of mid-December uh, is horrible. I always hate that time of year and it was horrible for me last year. It was the worst part of the year yeah. and that seems to continue every single year going through and it's so long. I don't know how in my heart September the 9th let's say which is the specific day I decided to pinpoint last year that my life decided now nah, we're not doing the rest of this year uh, up until let's say December 18th. So I suppose that would be like when you break I suppose kind of when you would start school and when you'd break up yeah. from school maybe. So I guess maybe that's how my head works. That is is like four times longer than the first nine months of the year. I don't know how. October and November drag. So that's my perspective of the year. And thankfully I'm not there anymore. I'm in the overture. But that's where so, my heart sits. 
Good. I agree with that. So your year is almost like a five act structure. It's you get the you get the I do. And and, and summer is the interval. And you get the inciting incident, which is your birthday, which propels the narrative forward from then on. You get the interval, you get the yeah, and then you get the the, the lazy bowing at the end in December. Um, exactly. That's, a way yeah, to that's kind of how my year goes. So I feel glad that I'm in the overture right now because it doesn't really count. I feel like these few weeks I can kind of it's funny, in recent times, I suppose, especially due to lockdown, I'm I'm sure you're the same. I feel incredibly guilty when I feel bored. I never feel bored. And I've always been led to believe that feeling bored is, is such a bad feeling to feel because you have no excuse to feel bored. At least that's how I've always felt. And, and not moving forward with stuff makes me feel guilty. Um, and I've really struggled to grapple with that over the past year because what else, you know, there isn't too much I can do but accept that a lot of the time. And somehow January and February give me the opportunity to accept it because I'm like, well, nothing ever happens anyway. So it's like, these are my boring months of the year. Um, so it's made the start of the year much easier and, and I'm quite similar in that I love, I love January 1st, I love the reboot of the system, even though I would say I see the academic year as the course of the year, and still do, I still see September to, to August or whatever as being the year as opposed to January to December, so maybe that's why December doesn't feel like such a crash to me, but okay. um, I still like almost like the mini reboot of January, it's like September with less pressure. <laughs> that's what it feels like to me and I also wouldn't undervalue being bored I think a lot of people have realized that especially in lockdown to lose the guilt and the shame not just to lose the guilt the shame of it actually but to remember in the world when you're constantly just doom scrolling or constantly on your device or constantly trying to activate your brain in any any way um the value of just sitting and staring at a spot on the wall I think is it's been completely lost in the modern world and you, you know I feel sorry for, for a younger generation that just doesn't hasn't been told the importance of being totally bored on a car trip. Um, it's, I think it's how you get to know yourself and know your thoughts by, by not having any other stimulation. Yeah, I'm definitely going to learn that in perhaps a very brutally honest way. But it's getting easier as time goes on. It's taking me time, but I'm getting used to it now, which is, which is really good. Talking about utilising the way time works, the next thing I am, let's say, begrudgingly grateful for today is homeschooling my sister. Um, I can't say I enjoy the homeschooling process. I would say it's pretty stressful, pretty irritating sometimes and, and hard to work with. But one thing that I've really needed, and I can't say I even necessarily realised I needed for quite a while, is something to need me outside of myself. I think mm -hmm. that sense of kind of... Um, being needed more than just like for your friendship or for this, like actually being needed to help complete a task. Mm. And my sister needing me to help to finish the homeschooling. Like my sister could not, my mum obviously goes to work, hence why it's me that's doing the homeschooling more than anything else. Like she would have to have gone to school otherwise, which no one wants at the best of situations right now. Mm. Um, so she not only needs me to be here physically in the flesh to make sure that she doesn't, you know, die or get eaten by one of the cats but um she also needs me to help with some of the questions or you know submitting the work or explaining things to her and I feel like being needed in that way has kind of reaffirmed a sense of purpose to me that I didn't I forget that purpose is like almost multi-dimensional and yeah. you know when this is so random and specific but I think to people like I think it's maybe Joe Biden or maybe Jill Biden. One of them in their Twitter bios has like, you know, like mother, doctor, blah, blah, blah. And I yeah. always think like, it's so funny that people think of themselves as like all the different roles that they are. I never break that down. And actually I've realized it's a really healthy thing to do. And that I really feel the role of sibling or brother right now. And I haven't had to access that feeling in a very long time because I don't 
I typically don't live with my sister anymore. So I haven't had to access it in an immediate sense. And, of, and when she was like young, young, I was like an early teen, so I didn't give a shit. But now I kind of feel like I'm playing the role or at least needed for that role. Yeah. And I've actually found that really gratifying because it's an element of my existence that I very rarely tap into. And I've really enjoyed tapping back into it, I think. And, and I felt it's given my weekdays purpose now, even outside of myself, like even if I don't do anything, everyone's grateful I woke up this morning because Ellie Mae got to do her homeschooling kind of thing. And that's how I feel. I think that's great. It's like, um, I can see the slightly cheesy indie coming of age movie version of your life. The older brother who finds himself by establishing a new relationship with his younger sister. Oh my God, by teaching nine-year-olds French and long division. Yes, but of course it's not really about French, is it? It's about yourself. Oh my God, so true. <laughs> I think that's lovely. I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of other writer friends who have kids. I don't have any kids. And um, I don't know. I mean, I struggle to write just in the silence of my own house and my own head. So how they can claw the time in this at the moment when, when all those routines and the structures have completely collapsed. Um, they have my complete admiration. Yeah, it is difficult. But I mean, I'm glad that I'm not, you know, I mean, there are people in much, I, I, it's hardly difficult for me. I'm just bloody either lazy or irritable or something. Like, it's not difficult for my life. But I, I really feel for people who are, there are other children in my sister's class who are like siblings and they only have one computer for the whole family and things oh, like yeah. that. And I think that's, that's difficult. And like, both parents are working at home trying to work with their, from their computers and stuff. I think I, you know, we have multiple devices and I, in theory, can drop everything and just go and sit with her all day long if I had to, to go and help her learn it. So um, when I complain about it, it's very much on a superficial line, well aware of the privileged situation I'm in level. Um, but you try and teach, you try and do partnered PE with a nine-year-old every Friday morning and you'll realise actually it's very <laughs> frustrating to have to be doing that. Uh, and submit videos of having done it, which is even weirder. I, I can't say I particularly enjoy doing that, but it is what it is. Um, so what's the final thing that you're feeling grateful for today then, James? Oh, the final thing is a really cheesy and obvious thing for a writer to say, but um, in this time of restriction and being locked away from the world and other people and other experiences, I am grateful for my imagination and other people's imagination. Um, it really does, in a sentimental way, um, help me travel away from the confines of my own confinement. And um, I feel very lucky and grateful to be able to do that as, a, as an actual job, um, paid to do it. I've got a few plays and TV dramas I've been working on through the um, through lockdown. And some of them are quite, uh, some of them are buried in the distant past. I get to travel to the 1960s for one particular play. Uh, one of them is a fantasy film. Um, but actually the most, most brilliant thing about, I've always found the most brilliant thing about being a playwright, um, especially one who's interested in, in the real world and real jobs and structures and institutions is um, you can invent something in your imagination and then you ask people to talk to you about their real job that connects with your story somehow. And they always often do. And it's such a privilege and it's so rewarding. So I'm writing a film that's set in, it's a slightly fantastical film I'm creating with um, the director Josie Rourke and it's set, um, it's a fantasy film, but it's set in a lot of institutions uh, around power. So, you know, democracy, parliament, government, uh, and local government, actually. And it's, it's brilliant to invent a scenario, invent a scene uh, out of your imagination, but then you get people to come on, on a Zoom call with you from City Hall who, who deal with uh, 
the transport around a particular square and they'll talk to you about it and it's it makes what's completely unreal in your head when you invent it around your uh, table um, suddenly become real and it kind of just root it both inspires me it makes me able to lift out of the the mundanity of of lockdown but also it kind of also weirdly then connects me back to a to a reality and I love that journey of of playwriting. Have you found it difficult to spend a lot of time imagining in lockdown? Because one thing I found at the beginning of the first lockdown, at least, was that I just couldn't mentally escape. I felt so obsessed with the fact of the situation that we were in that I found it so difficult to even watch anything, never mind come up with something that wasn't in the world I'm in. Did you find, have you been finding that difficult? Or did you ever find that difficult? Or is it, yeah, has it really been difficult. okay? No, it's been, yeah, I find it, I mean, look, I, I, it's not going to work in the NHS every day to save people's lives I and mean, it's, it's making stuff up so I don't want to moan too much but uh, no the first three I'd say even the first three months were not a particularly productive time for me at all for the reasons that you're saying it's a global pandemic so incredibly distracting and you want to be when you are when you are forced um, to isolate from the world and from people I think that that human need for connectivity and to reach out to friends and family and to be connected to social media and the news is is um, really keenly felt. So I could never really focus more than 10, 15 minutes on one particular thing. And then explaining that, I found it really, I felt so guilty explaining that to people who were waiting for me to hand scripts in because they know I'm not going out. They know I'm not, you know, in production or in rehearsal. So to explain to them, I've been in my house all day, but I'm sorry, I still haven't done the thing. Uh, finding the language for that, finding the language for explaining why um, the work wasn't getting done, I found really, sometimes yeah, really upsetting. But, you know, it doesn't matter, does it? It's only, and it's, I'm sure you're missing it as much as anybody when, when it feels like the very thing that you're writing for, film, television, drama, or particularly theatre, when you don't even know if some of the companies are going to survive. And they will, but in that moment, you're like, well, what am I even writing this for? It doesn't feel real at the best of times. I think I found that that's what I found so difficult I think about lockdown one in particular is I'd nearly finished this play that I'd spent almost every waking second of my whole life almost a year it felt like researching preparing for nearly completing and we'd booked in kind of scheduled in to have some sort of like reading with an invited audience and then hopefully to go and do x and x and x and move on with it um and obviously it being obviously being my age and how little I've ever done, like it's obviously so small scale. Those are the things, the companies and things that get affected the most. And that was really difficult then when lockdown kicked in and it kind of, I hadn't finished the play yet and things got upended. To find the motivation to continue, it was so hard. I, I found it really hard for a very long time and I still do sometimes to write anything because when you don't have, I guess when you are at the early end, the very, very beginning end of that kind of spectrum, you don't have commissions you're working towards or an actual guarantee of something happening. Yeah. And sometimes writing into the abyss feels a little bit, not begrudging, that's the wrong term, but it feels so stressful and, and, and hard to visualize. Cause I know, I don't know how you end up doing it, but when I end up writing anything, I end up visualizing the end product. I can't, I'm not, it's, I've never understood people who write and have never got the mind for directing, for example, that can't visualize it. I don't understand how that works, but I can always see what the end product's going to be. And now that end products is so tainted by, will that ever happen? Well, it will, but how will it happen? When will that happen? And I find that, I find directionless writing very difficult for me. And I didn't realize that before. Um, and that's definitely what I struggled with the first time. Hence, I think why my imagination felt so clipped is because yeah. 
I can, I can imagine to this fanciful extent, but then I need to be able to be like, and practically how's that happening? But I very, like the, when I first did my play in Edinburgh, for example, I guaranteed the play and everything before I'd finished writing it. I mean, that's typical, but that's typical <laughs> of most people, right? But yeah. I'd done all of that and it was being advertised. People were buying tickets, hadn't even written the thing yet. Like I'd started planning it, but I hadn't written it. But that I think is exactly how my mind kind of wants to go through with it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll write that, but logistically, how are we going to go through that process? Okay, cool. Yeah. Now I'll finish the writing process. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now I can't do that. It's very difficult to do the directionless. So what are you doing? What are you doing to combat that? To motivate yourself? Telling myself to shut the fuck up and just do it. I finally, I finally kind of got to the point where I'm like, move on. Because I think in the first lockdown, it was definitely, I allowed myself to do it because I was like, oh, it's not going to be that long. Like, it'll be a few more months. It'll be fine. Whereas now I'm like, right, it's nearly been a whole year. Yeah. And I think the reboot of the start of a year, talking about January, has in a weird way in my head made me feel like the pandemic's restarted. Like, I've almost managed to discontinue March to December. I'm like, oh, there's only a few months of this pandemic. And somehow I'm like, right, you have only got this amount of time where you're forced to be in the house. Normally you're out here, there and everywhere. Really utilise this time to do this and, and, to, and to be ready when the world... Hilariously, I had a conversation with my boyfriend's dad recently. Um, I'd spoken to him a while back and he... I think he's maybe been to the theatre a handful of times in his life and I can't say he'd have any much commentary on the theatre. But he said to me, like, I don't understand why you don't just write it and have things prepared. And it was so, like, obvious that I was like, oh, if you can think that, then I should be able to think that. And I think that's what really helped me in my thought process. Yes, although I think you're also, I agree, you should just do it. And I've always said the most important thing for me for a first draft is that you just get through it, that you don't faff, you don't fiddle, you don't overly obsess about mm -hmm. words and dialogue. You just have to get to the end. And then you start the second draft and that's when the cultivating work starts. And then you feel more motivated because you have a thing, it's in front of you. But uh, to be fair to your boyfriend's dad, I would also say you're also allowed to find it hard. It is, because it's hard. That's why, mm -hmm. that's why I would say 99.9% .9 of planet Earth don't write plays because it's it's hard and you do feel that imposter syndrome i still feel that imposter syndrome now when you start to invent something and make it up it feels vaguely embarrassing sometimes and i don't think it should be but i feel it and i think that is exacerbated when it doesn't feel like the thing that you're writing for is even as you say distinct or vivid or real enough uh, to warrant the, the effort but yeah, i'm glad you're writing that's good you should yes be. hopefully it'll be, it'll be further along the process as the weeks go on but the kick kickstarting into 2021 has definitely um helped me in that regard so imagination is is flowing once more hopefully um and a big reason for that talking on the next thing that i'm feeling grateful for and the final thing that we're grateful for today um is meditation and meditation is something i picked up about a year ago now maybe a bit longer because i'd done yoga for a very i did yoga when i first started training for the london marathon which would have been the autumn of 2018 so a very long time ago. So I've been doing yoga for quite a while and I'm reasonably good at that. And then after about a year or so, I thought, well, I'll, I'll start meditation as well because I think that's going to work well for me. And at first it did nothing for me. It was very difficult. I couldn't, couldn't really make much sense of it. And only in the past month have I actually started to get genuinely pretty good at meditation. Um, and the word that came up in a meditation I did recently was having a spacious mind and I would say that's the perfect way to describe how it works on me is that I haven't realized until recently that a lot of the time when I feel bogged down, it is essentially about very little or nothing, of course, because nothing too stressful is going on in my existence right now. 
and all the thoughts feel so clumped together i can't kind of get any gaps or sunlight coming between all of them Whereas when meditating, it's almost guaranteed for me now that afterwards I will come out and I'll feel like there's just air in my head and like the thoughts have space to breathe. Therefore, they aren't as exacerbated and it's okay to get through. And I found that so helpful in recent times because I go through so many weird moods. I know a lot of people go through ups and downs right now, but I get into really weird moods at the moment. On Fridays, almost every Friday, but definitely last Friday, I get to the point of like blood boiling angry about anything. I'll be really pissed off about anything. Uh, and I was so angry last Friday that I just sat down and meditated and then it kind of soothed me enough to sleep and then wake up feeling no way angry anymore. It kind of had totally passed. And I found that last night as well. I had a busy head last night, sat down, meditated, had a spacious mind again. And I'm so grateful that I stuck with practicing it for long enough to actually be able to start to feel something because I think I very easily at the beginning could have just written it off as being ridiculous and that it's obviously not going to work for me. But I was so adamant that it worked for other people that why won't it work for me? I think maybe that's my kind of, um, I don't know what you want to call it, main character syndrome or whatever else. I was like, well, if it works for you, it's going to work for me. Like, why doesn't it work for me? And eventually it did end up working for me because I, I, I tried it. I tried it enough. But uh, it is difficult. But, but I'm glad that when I wake up feeling shit and confused and busy headed, there is an answer that will at least give me some sort of reprieve to help carry me through the rest yeah. of the day or get to sleep because getting to sleep for me is the harder part actually than, than getting through the day sometimes. Well, that's really interesting to hear that it's something you can get better at. I'd not really thought of it like that. I thought I knew there were principles and techniques to get you in the right headspace, but the idea of it's something that, that improves with time, like riding a bike mm. um, feels, that feels motivating. No, I don't really do it myself, but I have complete, I'm not a cynic or a skeptic. I can, I can intellectualize completely the value of it. Maybe it's something I should try. Also, just to pick up on something you said, you keep saying that you have nothing to be stressful about. I think this is incredibly stressful. And I know it doesn't manifest it. It doesn't look stressful in the traditional sense. It's no, you know, in a busy office with people shouting at you. But I think what we're going through is one of the most clear examples of collective stress that you know a generation or a people or a nation can can go through i know it, i know it manifests itself by sitting on your sofa and watching netflix so you feel like you're not allowed to be stressed but this is incredible like we, we've normalized it so quickly for the third time well second time a couple of weeks ago our prime minister said we couldn't really leave the house and that's not normal mm. so you're allowed to feel stressed even though it doesn't look like traditional stress well thank you i'll, I'll i'm going to take that as my call to allowing myself to feel stressed sometimes but today's a good day so good. i'm going to i'm going to smile through that day and hopefully you will too hopefully today tuesday's a good day for you too so hopefully that ends up working i'm wearing a pink sweater that people can't see but it's almost the front cover of your gratitude journal so wow well that's well now people haven't seen either but they can visualize what it might well be <laughs> i think pink is my tuesday color so that's a positive i'm afraid, I'm afraid you're incorrect Tuesday is uh, green that morphs into a kind of yellow uh, hue by the afternoon. Oh, well, Monday's very red for me, and you said Fridays are very red. Oh, Monday's so brown. What's wrong with you? Brown? No uh, wonder you hate Monday. No wonder <laughs> everyone hates Mondays if it's a brown colour. Why would I want to do Mondays? Well, thank you very much for chatting with me today, James. I have thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's been a great start to my day. Thank you.
If you enjoyed today's episode, you can subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Our theme music is by the formidable Emma Thorpe, our artwork is by the indomitable M. Jenkins, and our producer is little old me. We'll see you next time.